But I want to focus on um, verses 3 to 5 of 1 Peter chapter 1. I'll read them again quickly. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Um, the title of, of the study, if, if, if that's required, is, is Indestructible Hope. Peter here is speaking of an indestructible hope. He reminds us that the essence of what it means to be a Christian is to, uh, to have a hope. And in verse 3, he breaks into a kind of doxology, doesn't he? Um, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively or living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's not, um, he's not here talking about some kind of ethereal undefinable hope it's a very specific definable thing which he refers to it's not a hope for the best type hope as we will go on to see it's a something definite something describable at least to a certain extent and as we preach the gospel from, from this church and in our own private capacities, we, we can invite people, unbelievers, to a living hope. Because by nature, of course, unbelievers are without hope from a spiritual point of view. If Paul says this specifically in Ephesians uh, 2 verse 12 referring to Christians prior to their conversion he, he, he described them as having no hope and without God in the world and in another place in uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.13 he's talking about um, in a way how believers should mourn for their dead and he says you shouldn't mourn for your dead in the same way as an unbeliever mourns for their dead he says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others who have no hope. The, unbelieving, uh, the unbeliever, the unbelieving world has no hope. And I suppose when we think of the national and the international context which we, in which we meet, it's no doubt that is driving many people to despair. F families, even where, in, in where, I where I live, in Dulverton, are, are struggling to make ends meet with the cost of living. The war drums are beating ever, ever more loudly, it seems. Many predict that we are close to a, another world war. And whatever the truth of the science, most young people 
are terrified of the future, fearful for the future of the planet. Mental health problems are um, almost at epidemic proportions amongst young people particularly. And there is an almost total loss of faith in government and in institutions. And the evangelical church missed a great opportunity during COVID to preach the gospel. In its wisdom, it decided to shut the doors rather than preach the gospel. How ridiculous. But now we have a great, another opportunity, another great opportunity uh, to preach the gospel. Surely it is now time for the church to uh, obey the great commission and preach the hope of the gospel during this time when hope is disappearing fast in the hearts of men and women. So Peter teaches here in verse 3 that when a person is born again, when he hath begotten us again, what happens is that they enter into a lively or a living hope. And Peter refers to this elsewhere in his epistle here in the 13th verse, for example, of chapter 1. He says, Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then in the 15th verse of chapter 3, it says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. John Calvin, in his commentary on these verses, states that he believed Peter wants us to enjoy the invaluable treasure of a future life and also that we may not be broken down by present troubles but patiently endure them being satisfied with eternal happiness. So tonight really the purpose of tonight's study is I want us to really grasp the fact that whatever we're feeling inside whatever we're going through the fact of the matter is that if you are truly born again notwithstanding circumstances you have come into you have been born into a living hope an indestructible hope So firstly, I want us to consider the description Peter gives of the character of this hope. The modern concept of hope is so far removed from the biblical concept of hope that we need to be clear about what we're talking about. Peter's not talking about a feeling He's not talking about feeling hopeful. Uh, he's not talking about a personality trait or a characteristic. We all know people who are naturally bubbly, who are naturally optimistic. 
nothing seems to get them down. Um, you can pour cold water on their head and they'd still smile. There's some people like that, isn't there? Um, there are optimists and there are pessimists. Uh, and Peter is not saying that to be a Christian, to be born again, uh, makes you feel more positive about life. I'm sure it does. But then many other things do. I mean, when I, you won't believe it, but I used to do a lot of running. When I, when I did a lot of running, I felt good afterwards. I felt hopeful. I felt healthy. And there's lots of things in life that make us feel better, make us feel hopeful and positive. That isn't the point of the new birth. No, this living hope is something very specific and very definite. It's not a disposition or attitude. It is something, as I say, particular. The Bible speaks of this Christian hope as something which we don't yet fully possess, but which we will receive in the future. The Bible defines this as including such things as the hope of heaven, the future kingdom of God, the final state of blessedness, the new heavens and the new earth, and the resurrection body. So the hope which we are born again into is most particularly defined in relation to the final stage, the fullest stage, we could say, of our salvation as Christians. This is clear from this chapter, from Peter's writings. He describes this hope in verse 4 as an inheritance which the Christian will come into, but has not come into yet. It is, he says, an inheritance in verse 4, reserved in heaven for you. Well, I guess we're all familiar with the concept of an inheritance. Uh, an inheritance is something which you don't have yet, but which you will come into at some point in the future. Um, in many cases, you've been told or you know that you are a beneficiary to the inheritance. The will and testament of the testator tells you so. Uh, and it, you may know the, in, in the, the, a description of the assets which have been left to you. And in that sense, the Christian life is a bit like um, a table being booked at a, at a, at a, at a, at a restaurant, a good restaurant. You, you haven't sat to the table yet. But a place at the table has been reserved for you. And you can ponder the menu, if you like, and, and you can think about the enjoyment to come. The fact is that your place is reserved. You will sit at that table. And so Peter says that the Christian has an inheritance and that this inheritance is reserved for the Christian in heaven. 1 Peter 1 verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you 
The Christian's great inheritance is the Christian's great hope, which we are born into by the Holy Spirit. So I want us to try and grasp this amazing fact that if you are the Lord's tonight, if you are truly born again tonight, then you are personally a beneficiary of this inheritance. An inheritance which is greater than any human inheritance. So no matter what you're going through, how, how rubbish you feel, or how rubbish the circumstances are, you are a beneficiary and nothing can ever change it. This verse 4 gives further description of the, of the Christian's hope and inheritance. It is described as incorruptible, undefiled. It is indelible because it fadeth not away. It is reserved, preserved, kept safe and secure, ready for you in heaven. So, right now, this second, God reserves and keeps your inheritance. He's doing it. He's, he's reserving your inheritance right now. And this inheritance is a, is a sure hope because it is indestructible. It is un incorruptible. It won't, rot, it won't rot. It won't rust. It won't get spoilt or polluted. It is indelible. Nobody can rub it out. It won't fade away. You know, one of my favourite novels is Bleak House by Charles Dickens. It's the story of two young people, Richard Carstone and Esther Summerson, who, who go through years of, of a legal case uh, in the High Court of Chancery to decide who inherit, inherits the great uh, Jandice estate. Uh, and in the end... After years and years and years, the court finds in favour of the young people. But by the time the judge puts down his hammer, all the court costs, the court costs have eaten up all the value of the inheritance. And they were left with nothing. In great contrast, nothing can spoil the Christian's great inheritance. That's why the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19 and 20, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. However, there's more. There's more to rejoice in. Because verse 5 states that not only is this inheritance, this hope, reserved and preserved for the Christian, the Christian is reserved and preserved for the inheritance. It says in verse 5, who are kept by the power of God 
through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It's amazing, isn't it? You and I, whatever we're going through, could not be more safe and secure. We couldn't be. We have a great hope secured for us by God. He's looking after our inheritance, which is quite frankly mind-blowing. The greatest riches we could ever imagine or hope for. And at the very same time, he secures us preserves us until we come into the possession of our inheritance. This is why we can sing or say along with the Apostle Paul, for I know whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. 1 Timothy 1.12 Dear friends, this is the character of this hope. It is in the form of an, of an inheritance. When you are born again, you become an heir. You become an heir to a spiritual fortune. Treasures and riches which can barely be described. Eye hath not seen, says the scripture, nor has ear heard. Neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Do you know, Paul, the Apostle Paul, for the most part, preached and wrote to persecuted Christians. And he personally experienced unimaginable levels of suffering, trial, and persecution. And he emphasised, Paul emphasised the importance of regularly contemplating and understanding our inheritance. See, the future hope that we all have as Christians has a present purpose. That's what John Calvin was saying. It aids the Christian in his or her personal walk with the Lord and in his sanctification. The Apostle Paul prays for the Ephesian believers, doesn't he? Uh, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints in other words he wants these churches he wants these Christians to truly grasp as far as they can the hope that they have he wants them to live their Christian lives with this heavenly prospect in view in the midst of fiery trial he wants them to behold this new world, this better country yet to come. He wants them in the midst of persecution to think about that time when they will enter into this kind of glory temple, the temple of the final state, when they will be clothed in their resurrection bodies. 
and where for all eternity there will be a total absence of sin and corruption and sickness and tears and death and there will be an eternal presence of God's glory. I suppose he was praying really, Lord, teach these Ephesians to hope, to learn how to hope, um, to hope in the hope. It's something that we have to learn to do, particularly when we're going through difficult times. And we all, perhaps even it's more of a danger when we're going through good times. We need to pray to the Lord that we would be less earthbound. And that we all need to learn to look up because our redemption draweth nigh. It's a kind of spiritual um, poise. It's a spiritual stance that we take. That we are those who look up, who are, are looking forward to this final hope. There are some in our fellowship, in our church, who are going through the toughest of times, significantly difficult times by any standard. But the Apostle Paul, who had just described the kind of sufferings the, the apostles had to endure, writes in 2 Corinthians 4.17, For our light affliction... Which always makes me laugh that when he talks about what he'd just been through. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is worth for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Do you know, whatever our circumstances, um, there's, we, we regularly, I'm terrible at this with my glasses, but we regularly need to uh, have our eyes checked from a spiritual point of view. We need to have a, a heavenly optician appointment on a, on a regular basis because there's something in all of us which wants to look down earthwards instead of heavenwards. Something within us which only wants to look at the seen and not the unseen. But the unseen things are, are, are the eternal things. It was Jonathan Edwards in his, in his personal journal who wrote, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. What he meant was, I want to live in that way where eternity is more real to me than time. We need to learn to live in this hope, dear friends. Um, these Christians, Peter writes to here, in this first chapter are really going through the ringer if you like verse 6 says ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations but Peter is saying despite this in the midst of this 
You are rich beyond compare. Even in the natural realm, you know, I, I think this is true. If, if a man, a young man, say, knows that um, he, is an, he is an heir to a fortune, even, even if he knows he won't come into it for a long time yet, something in his bearing changes. He, he takes on the bearing of a rich man, even though he may not have the money yet in his pocket. He knows he's, he's going to be rich. And you know, life wants to make us walk with a, with a stoop, doesn't it? But when we think what is reserved for us, and, and, it, and when we think of the good, even the good purposes God will make of our trials and tribulations, doesn't it make us want to walk upright? To walk with the bearing of a rich man or a rich woman uh, who is a beneficiary of a great inheritance? Doesn't it give us a joy unspeakable and full of glory? A joy which is makes no sense from, from an earthly point of view, but which we, we sense, which we know, because we know where we're going. We know we are safe in Christ and in God. And there's just one more thing, just in case you think God hasn't given us enough already. In this first point, the Bible teaches us that our Lord has given us a pledge, a down payment in advance as a guarantee of our inheritance. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity. This is how Paul puts it in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In whom ye also trusted... After that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, which is the earnest or the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. I don't have time to go in to expand on that. I wish I had. But just note it. This generous God. This wonderful God. Secondly and quickly, this text describes the access to this hope. It tells us how we obtain this hope. In verse 3, Peter says, that these Christians had been begotten again or born again. Verse 3. The new birth is attributed to the work of God and Father, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ here in this verse. In other words, the new birth is an act of God. In theology, we distinguish between an act of God and the work of God. The new birth is an act of God in which he implants in a man or a woman, or a boy or a girl, 
the principle of a new divine life. The result of which is a radical change in the disposition of the man from where the governing disposition of the man was towards sin to where the governing dis disposition becomes towards holiness. It doesn't eliminate sin, but it changes the disposition. A disposition that was always tending to sin to a disposition where the tendency is towards holiness. It's an instantaneous change in a man's nature which will result in conversion, faith and repentance toward God. Paul says we become a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And only those who are born again by an act of God and then through faith convert or become converted through faith and repentance subsequently only those are heirs of this hope and inheritance if you're not a Christian you are not an heir to this inheritance and the new birth is a change as great as the crisis of physical birth um there's a timely, a timely illustration. <laughs> there, the baby in the darkness of the womb, clueless about all the light and the colour outside, suddenly born into a world of light and colour. Will probably be a, be a light, something like that, be the first light. But and the new baby will, will learn all sorts of things. They have new tastes. He will touch new things, the whole world to explore. He's only a baby, but he will grow. And the same is true as of, of a newly born Christian. So it's a spiritual baby with new appetites, a new taste, a new disposition, a new world to explore and learn. He won't know it all at once. It'll take time, many years. But he will grow and grow and grow. And he is born into this living, lively hope. And one day, at the end of time, there will be a radical transformation of body and soul when he is perfected. For those who have died and gone to heaven... Their perfected spirits will be united to their new resurrection bodies and they will enter into the new heavens and the new earth, the final state where we will know even greater pleasures and know greater wonders and do even greater works, I believe, than we have done so far. That's our inheritance. That's what's awaiting. It's guaranteed. It's not forced. Some Christians and not for others. It is kept, reserved, preserved in heaven for you, for all of us who know him. Thirdly and finally, this text, in this text, Peter informs us of the origin and the ground of this hope. 
the origin and ground of this hope. No, what, what is the ground of this hope? How, how can we know it's, not, it's just not a, a false hope? How do we know it's not a fantasy? Well, Paul identifies the reason in verse 3. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. The historical, factual, literal, physical resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead is the ground from which we have this living hope. Our hope of resurrection, both spiritual and physical, is built on the solid ground of Christ's resurrection. Our hope is created and secured by the resurrection, one of the most heavily evidenced historical facts in, in ancient history. This is why Peter calls it a lively hope, a living hope, because Jesus is alive. The Lord Jesus is alive and he's busy. He's busy preserving and reserving and keeping and providing and enabling us to persevere. He's praying for us and he's waiting for us. He's alive forevermore and he's promised never to leave us nor forsake us. He's alive and it's a living hope. Well, this teaching was very personal to Peter, wasn't it? He was the first apostle to see the risen Christ. First was Mary Magdalene, then Mary, the mother of James, Salome and Joanna, and then Peter. Luke twenty four thirty four. The Lord has risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. And this changed everything for Peter, didn't it? He moved from a world of despair to hope. He had known hopelessness. He, he despaired, as, as, as I have done about myself in the past, he despaired mainly of himself. Peter was his own worst enemy. Rod Mitchell's his own worst enemy too. He denied the Lord three times and desolation had entered into his soul. His Lord, the one he let down at the vital moment, had been crucified and buried. All hope was gone. All he could see ahead was blackness, guilt, shame. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever been in that place where there's nothing but darkness, nothing but guilt and shame? Well, Peter knew it. And then the risen Christ appeared to him. And the impact of this was more than just having his old hopes restored. It was the birth of something new and living and vital in him. Peter was restored, but at the same time the resurrection life of Christ suffused his body and soul and his life was filled with an indestructible hope. He now saw Christ, I believe, in a different way. Not as Jesus looked before. We can read between the lines and see that Jesus probably looked worn, older than his years. The face of a man of sorrows. But now he's transformed, the Lord Jesus. Glorified in his resurrection body. Suffused with eternal life. And Peter, seeing this risen Lord Jesus, 
now came to see Jesus as the firstborn from among the dead. He now saw the Lord Jesus as the first fruits of a greater harvest of resurrected ones that will enter into God's new eternal final world. And that's why Peter can say that we have been begotten again unto a lively hope through the resurrection of the dead. Well, I leave these thoughts with you, brothers and sisters. If you're born again, you're born again into an incredible, indestructible hope. Whatever you're going through right now, God will keep you until that day of days. That day like no other day when we will be with him forevermore. Amen. Feel free to contact us at Sovereign Grace Church in Tiverton. Email us at grace2seekers at gmail.com. That's grace2seekers at gmail.com. Alternatively, you can visit our website at www.sovereigngracereformedchurch.co.uk.